Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, on to the show. He said, Jimmy, I need to talk to you. He said, I feel like I need to tell you that the night you left to meet your folks in Denver, the rig you were working on exploded, and everybody that you had worked with for two summers were, were killed. You just need to know how lucky you were. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. You're listening to episode 13 of our podcast, meaning that after today, we only have two more episodes left in our season. So whether you've been listening since day one or you're just joining us for the first time, we're glad you're here. To the public, Jim Warren was an ordinary school counselor living in Wichita, Kansas, helping teenagers navigate their way through high school. But few, if any, people knew the dark secret that Jim held. He had been a habitual shoplifter for decades. He was a heavy drug user, and he held a hatred of God and the church. Jim lived his double life for many years until one day when he was 70, God showed up. Well, today I am blessed to be here with my guest, Jim Warren of Derby, Kansas. And Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Jim, for those that are listening, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little about your family? I grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma. My dad sold clothes. I was born during the Depression. We had no very little money. Yeah. Uh, people didn't buy clothes much during the Depression. <clears throat> Daddy was paid on commission, and uh, if he brought home $50 a week, we thought we were rich. Ma- Material-wise, I had everything I needed. I-, I never went hungry. I never missed a meal. Always had something to wear. My folks sometimes would go to church, and sometimes they didn't. Hmm. When they were in church, Mother taught Sunday school— Daddy taught BTU, that stands for Baptist Training Unions, what they used to call it. I don't think they have it anymore. As I got older, I developed a a strong distaste for church. I never believed it. I never believed there was anything to it. Really? A lot of times, if they wanted me to go to church, they'd have to drag me to church. Daddy would get on one arm and Mom on the other, and they'd force me in the car, and off we went to church. Wow. It was a battle. Every sun, Sundays in my house were hell. I don't know any other way to describe it. Hmm. It 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 got to uh, to the point where I where I I hated I hated to see Sunday coming. I remember one summer, mother was teaching vacation Bible school, and she expected me to go. I think, and I told her I ain't going. Period. No, you can't make me go. I'm not going. And um, they proceeded to get me to the church, and I escaped the room. 
I went down in the boiler room of the church. Now, this is in, in the heat of the summer. It was probably July or August, one of those hot months. I went down in the boiler room and almost died from heat stroke. That's how bad I didn't want to go to vacation Bible school. They carried me out, out of there. They, somebody found me. They carried me out, and I, I remember them reviving me oh, <laughs> out, out, out on the lawn. Oh, man. <laughs> Through elementary school, junior high school, and high school, uh, I became really, really bad. Hmm. I, in elementary school, I fought. I don't know that I picked a fight, but I sure didn't run from them. Yeah, and uh, I was almost expelled from from elementary school. 1940, 41, 42, the First Baptist Church hired this young fellow named Dr. Named Dr. W.A. Criswell. And I, I'll never forget him. I, if he'd walked through that door right now, I'd, I'd, I'd recognize him. Really? But anyway, that Sunday morning, for some strange reason, I went to church with him, and I don't remember having a fight with him. And I, how, old, I, how old were you at this point? 11 years old. 11 years old. Uh, he was a fiery preacher. Man, he was fiery. I'll never forget that guy. And he would scare the daylights out of kids. I mean, there was something about him. He would just scare the daylights out of you. Hmm. But I remember this particular Sunday, he gave the invitation. And he it, it, it was along the line, you know, that you might die next week, and if you die, it's too late, and you're going straight to hell, and blah, blah, blah. And, and he scared me. Next Sunday, it was the same thing. And fire and brimstone, man, I'm telling you, he, it was worse that, the second Sunday than it was the first Sunday. And when he gave that, that invitation, man, I shot, shot down to the front like a cannon. Yeah. And, and, uh, and of course, he <clears throat> did his thing, you know, introduced me to the church. Well, Jimmy's uh, accepted Jesus and on and on and on and on. And, and uh, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And, and I got baptized. He never once, after he baptized me, he never once came up and said, Jimmy, how are you doing? Hmm. Is there anything I can do for you? Do, would you like to come in and chat with me sometime? He never, ever said another word to me, nor did any other adult in that church. And I thought, man, if this is what Christians are like, I don't want any part of them. And two or three weeks after that, I shoplifted a carton of cigarettes, and I walked a, a little further, and I, and I, I shoplifted a, an extension cord. So there I was with a carton of cigarettes and, a, and an extension cord that I'd stolen three weeks after I was baptized, yeah. <laughs> shoplifted. Yeah. And um, so immediately, I became the probably the most the, the most popular kid in in fifth grade because every day after school I would take our our fifth grade classroom down the sewer, pass out the cigarettes, and we'd smoke. Wow. So that was kind of a turning point for me, spiritually and, and, and every other way. I learned that you can get things pretty easy uh, if you steal them as opposed to paying for them. Hmm. And, uh, and how old were you? I was early 12, yeah. 12 years old. Yeah. And 
So I did a lot of thievery back then, a lot, a lot of it. Uh, I would steal stuff for other people if they'd give me something for it. 1952, my folks went to Paris, Texas for the weekend. Daddy's sister lived there. They left me in charge of the house. Yeah. I was a senior in high school. Yeah. Big mistake on their part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They left. I I had a bunch of guys, probably, I, I would guess maybe 15 of them that I knew to be pretty rotten people. Mm. And I invited them over to the house, and we decided we're going to call the bootleggers, and we're going to have a real party. Yeah. So we called two or three bootleggers, and they came out and priced their stuff, and we all uh, we bought a lot of liquor, a lot. Of, we bought the hard stuff, whiskey, bourbon, uh, uh, gin, but we all got skunk drunk. I mean, I mean, it was bad. Everybody started vomiting all over. Oh man! Some of them chose to vomit in the floor furnace. Some oh. of them, some of them oh. on the beds. Oh. Some of them, you name it. Uh, we that house was practically destroyed, and the folks were due back the next day. So, how did your parents react when they found out? Two or three people in that block belonged to First Baptist Church in Muskogee. Yeah. So they spread it around all over the church that Jimmy had a huge party in their house and they kept the whole block awake. And here Mama's teaching Sunday school and BTU, Daddy's teaching Sunday school and BTU, and their son's throwing a drunken brawl in their house and practically destroyed the house. And they weren't real happy with me over that. And, and it, Mother was so embarrassed I think word got to Mr. Mills. Ellis was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher at the church, and he he had some connection with with an oil company in in Artesia, Colorado, hmm. and he decided that I might be a good candidate to go out the summer of of. 1952 in the summer of 1953, when, between college, uh, semesters of college, go out there and work on an oil rig. Well, I went out there, but what Mr. Mills didn't know was that they hired most of their roughnecks. I, I went out, I was going to be a rough, they, ha- they hired most of their, their roughnecks out of the Colorado State Penitentiary oh, no. in, in, in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, no. That, and you think I didn't get an education. I learned the tricks of the trade as far as tri- crime's concerned. I learned how to plan a back bank robbery. I had it drawn out schematically. I mean, things like that. I, it didn't help my spirituality very much. I grew to feel really comfortable with them, and I went back the second summer, and I had finished my two and a half months there. I was getting ready to go back for my sophomore year in college, get home, Ellis Mills called. That's the guy that sent me out there. He called and he said, he said, Jimmy, I need to talk to you. He said, I feel like I need to tell you that the night you left to meet your folks in Denver, the rig you were working on exploded and everybody that you had worked with for two summers were, were killed. Oh, wow. And he said, you just need to know how lucky you were that you left that night. Oh, man. 
you love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compelled, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. When I went to college, I pledged Lambda Chi Alpha Fraternity because I wanted the meanest, ugliest group on campus. And and I found it. It, it was bad. I mean, there was always a, a, a drunken party going on. Yeah. Always. Uh, and I got into a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, hard liquor, 
whiskey, gin, uh, stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Got into a lot of smoking and uh, decided I wanted to major in psychology. And I got my bachelor's, bachelor's degree in psychology, uh, went to graduate school to work on my master's degree in psychology. The college years were uh, filled with um, what I call preacher bashing, along with religion and, er and everything to do with religion. You know, we, uh, we didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. I partied for, the, for four years. It was uh, almost nonstop, late at night, sometimes all-nighters. And, and when I was working on my master's degree, that's where I met my first wife. And we had yeah. a horrible, horrible relationship. Mm. I mean, it was, it, it, it was beyond belief. It, it got physical. She stabbed me with a, a pen and <laughs> stabbed me with a fork once, and I had to go to the hospital for that. Didn't have a car, so I had to walk to the hospital. I put up with her for 10 years. I put up with her. She put up with me. It was probably, I'm, I'm sure it was a combination of both. Yeah. And finally in 1967, she tried to kill me with um, a milk. You remember milk bottles or is that before your time? Uh, I know that they used to be glass well, milk bottles. glass milk bottles. The night of my divorce, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I got in the car and I started driving. I drove out to out to on Oliver to WSU, and that was the hippie era. The hippie started around 1960, hmm. and this was the era era of the hippies. And I, I was I was lonesome. I you know even a bad marriage sometimes is is better than nothing. And I, I didn't have anything. I mean, I just finished my divorce and. I parked the car and I saw a bunch of these hippies going up to this house, big, big old two-story house. And I went up and I knocked on the door and I and <laughs> I can't even imagine that I did this. And I said, "You all, you all are having a party, aren't you?" <laughs> and the guy's big old long hair down to his waist and beard, yeah. big guy. Yeah, looked look like he might have weighed three hundred pounds and he could have whacked me and knocked me from here to Kingdom Come. Yeah, but. I said, you all are having a party. Would you mind, would you mind if I joined you, joined you? I said, I just got a divorce, and I don't know what to do with myself. He puts his arms around me. He says, well, come on in. Glad to have you. And it was full of hippies. Yeah. And it was full of marijuana smoke. Yeah. And I never had, I never had smoked marijuana before. I'd done a lot of drinking, but I, I had never smoked marijuana. He says, you're a drinker, aren't you? And I was a drinker. I, I, I said, yeah, I, I, I've drank a few. He pours out this great big glass of whiskey. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. I, I couldn't find my way home when that party was over. Yeah. That was what I did the, the night of my divorce. Yeah. I proceeded from that point to I got into drugs. And I had a source for getting Acapulco gold. It's the strongest marijuana that there is. Hmm. It's so strong you have to smoke it with a water pipe to cool it off before you inhale it. Hmm. You you take a drag off of a marijuana cigarette, and you don't have that thing hooked up to a water pipe. 
you're you're down on the floor on the floor screaming, trying to get a breath. I mean, it's it's that strong. I think my life was about as rotten as it could be for somebody that it, that was not in prison. And you I, were still working at the school. Oh yeah, at the same time. Oh yeah. And not only that, but about this time, the superintendent calls me in, <laughs> and he says, uh, "We're starting a drug program called Dope Stop." And the faculty's gotten together, and we decided we want you to sponsor that. They wanted you to sponsor <laughs> they wanted me the, the to drug sponsor. program. They didn't know I was smoking marijuana and getting drunk every night, and and smoking marijuana. They, they didn't know I that I came to work stoned half the time. Wow. I, I'm a, I'm I'm a good faker. Uh, they said we want you to be in charge of of the dope stop program, and we're going to send you to the Twin Cities for a week's study and, and uh, workshop in, in, in Dope Stop. We want you to take, take charge of it for the, <laughs> for the Derby Public Schools, and that included the elementary, junior high, and high school. Oh, man. I had the whole works, and there I was at night smoking that stuff like crazy and drinking my head off. And uh, so I, I was. Uh, they put me officially in charge of Dope Stop. Oh my goodness! Wow. Dope stop, and 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 there wasn't a, a bigger doper around than I was. Yeah. So I, I was afraid to tell them no, and I decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to arrange uh, the uh, El Dorado Penitentiary, and I'm going to see if I can arrange for every week for. Uh, some of the people that were doing life to to come and and uh, talk to our elementary, junior high, and high school kids. So I need I need at least three of them every week. The nastier they are, the better I'm going to like it. I want I want I want to show the kids the horror of drug of, of drug use. <laughs> Whether it helped or not, I don't know. The kids loved it. Yeah. They loved me. The kids loved me. Yeah. They, they they thought it was that I was <laughs> the perfect. And then I'd go 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 at night and and uh, Wednesday nights I always went out the Cotillion Ballroom and gets got skunk drunk every every time I went out there. I had a lot of sleazy friends that went out there and we and a lot of people go to church on Wednesdays. I was at the Cotillion getting drunk or stoned with on marijuana or hashes. I uh proceeded to um, really make a mess out of my life. And and um, about that time, they assign what you're going to sponsor. I go to work that day, first day on the job at the high school. They, they had me down for to be in charge of the Youth for Christ Club. The Youth for Christ Youth Club. Youth for Christ Club. I went to the, to the principal and I said, really, I said, I think uh, I'm not really very well, quali- very well qualified to do Youth for Christ. I said... Uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd give me something else. Did they know that you were an atheist? Oh, no. Oh, no. Nobody nobody knows this. It took three years before I could get rid of Youth for Christ, and it was a celebration. Yeah. I mean, I was so happy that I managed to get to get rid of that. Did you continue doing drugs even after you met Tony, your, your wife, today? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did. There, there was a lot that she didn't know about me. When we, when we met in 1976, we dated two years and broke up. And uh, 
we didn't get married till 1993, which was 25 years ago. I never could get Tony to 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 smoke the marijuana or or, or drink. She she didn't do it. She wasn't in the church or anything. But but uh, I I did it. And and uh, I mean all this I smoking cigarettes too. It's a wonder I can even breathe. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a one. It's a miracle that I'm even here. Yeah. I I should have been dead 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, when Tony and I decided that we were going to get married, I said, I don't know whether I can do this or not. I said, I said, but I want to tell you one thing. If we ever get married, don't ever mention church to me. Yeah. Don't ever invite me to go to church. Don't ever make me feel guilty about going to church. That's going to be a topic that we don't talk about. I said, if you want to go to church, be my guest. But I said, I ain't going and she agreed to that, and we got married. I wasn't particularly happy about it. I, I, um, I didn't have the enthusiasm that most people have when they get married. And how long have y'all been married now? Twenty-five years. And you were almost sixty when you got married. About sixty, yeah. I just want to take a second here and thank you for just sharing honestly and candidly about what your life was like uh, before being saved. Uh, I know that to many people, including myself. I mean, we would have just totally written you off. I mean, we would have just said that there's no way that God would eventually save someone like you who had just constantly rejected him for 70 years. But thankfully, God had other plans. Um, how, how, did, how did you eventually come to find Christ? I started uh, having some problems with my hip. Hmm. Got to where I could hardly walk, and, and one day I I told her, I said, I've I got to go to the emergency and, and, and what have you. And I went to the emergency. And so I, I went in. He gave me a shot. And the next day or two, it started feeling pretty good. And he said it would be helpful if you started a walking program. And the strangest thing happened. I started hearing these church songs in my head. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain and Amazing Grace and... and uh, uh, some of those songs that were so popular back then that you don't hear it much of anymore, one right after the other, after the other, after the other, that kept me awake at night. And I, the only thing I can figure out why they were familiar to me is when my folks made me go to church. Back when you were a kid? When I, when I was little. I thought I was going crazy. I called my brother-in-law. I said, I know I told you a long time ago I didn't— I didn't want to talk religion with you or anything, but I said, I've changed my mind. I said, I said these songs keep popping in my head, and I said, I can't get rid of them, and I feel like I'm going crazy. And Don says, well, that's easy. He says, God's trying to tell you something. And I thanked him for, for his help, and, and I thought about it. Uh, and, and, uh, and then we went to Las Vegas in 2002. And y'all were and you were almost 70 at this point, like you were a 69 or something. Yeah, so, something like that. And I decided people hit the, hit it rich in Las Vegas all the time and I'm going to be one of them. It was kind of the first day or two we played the slot machine. She was she played the penny machine quite a bit and I was playing the nickels and dimes and quarters and and for two or three days and then the, I think the day before we left was on a Sunday, and I had the strangest feeling coming over me. God didn't tell me anything, but I know a dark cloud came down on me in that casino, and I imagined that God was telling me, you shouldn't be in here on Sunday gambling. And then 
it persisted. I didn't I didn't put any more money in the slot machine and I started getting sadder and sadder and sadder. And I went back in the bathroom and I started bawling like a baby. And anyway, I didn't I didn't tell Tony anything. I didn't I, I never mentioned this to her. The world tells young women to seek popularity, beauty, pleasure, or whatever will make them happy. Yet the more they chase after those worldly dreams, the emptier they become. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a special conference designed for mothers and daughters to encourage them that there is just one thing worth seeking after, Jesus Christ. The conference is called Seeking Christ and takes place at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, September 20 and 21st. The conference is taught by Sarah Malley Hancock, the founder of Bright Lights Ministry, and includes skits, real-life examples, studies for moms and daughters to do together, and bonus sessions by Ken Ham and Martin Isles from Answers in Genesis. Plus, you'll get to walk through the full-scale replica of Noah's Ark there at the Ark Encounter, which I've actually done and is incredible. Young women will be challenged to seek the Lord first in their lives, deepen their love for God's Word, be rooted in their identity in Christ, gain vision for close family relationships, and shine their light brightly for the Lord. The primary focus is for young women ages 10 to 18 and their mothers, but of course, women of all ages are welcome to come. Learn more at brightlightsministry.com. Again, that's brightlightsministry.com. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. We came home, and it was November the 3rd, 2002. Prior to that, I'd put on some sleazy programs on the TV, you know, or on Sunday or, uh, you know, I liked all-star wrestling. I'd play that kind of stuff. And But on this particular Sunday morning, and Tony was in the other room, uh, I was playing with the remotes, and I came across this TV evangelist. And he was a big old guy, or he looked big to me. Yeah. And he looked mean, and he was a no-nonsense kind of guy. He looked at me. In, in that screen, and I felt like he was talking straight to me. And he said, if you want to fix your sorry, pathetic, miserable life, he said, there's only one way to do it, and that's to come to Jesus. But it was kind of the way he said it and the way he looked at me 
that I'll never forget. And it scared me to death. And he said, what you need to do, you need to pray to God right now and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to please fix your life and tell him that you want to accept Christ as your Savior and that you will, you will be there honoring him for the rest of your life. And he said, I want you to do that. And he says, I want you to do it right now. And here I am on Sunday morning. Tony's in another room, no telling what she's doing. <laughs> she didn't have any idea I was going through this. I, I had the TV down pretty low. I didn't want her to hear me. Yeah. And I did what he said. And I I, I did. I, I asked God to forgive me that I had had a horrible life. I, I, I've hurt a lot of people, done a lot of really bad stuff and I asked him to forgive me and uh, that I wanted Jesus to come into my life and and uh, and I did that and then shortly after that I heard her coming in and I switched channels real fast <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't say anything to her yeah and every Sunday uh, when we'd get up I I would turn into that station, but I keep it pretty low. But one Sunday she came in, and I didn't hear her coming in, and she she saw me watching this TV evangelist. Yeah. And we watched that thing together. We decided very shortly along that line that we would start visiting churches. And finally, I I came to Tony, and I said, uh, do you think it's time that we go forward at the invitation? And we did. We, We went forward, and she gave her profession of faith and, and so on. We were baptized the next week. Man, that's just such a beautiful story of God never giving up on you or on Tony. And uh, just thanks for sharing that. I knew that after being saved, you've spent the last several years now actively sharing your faith with others. Can you share with us, how did you become involved with the Union Rescue Mission here in Wichita? We went to a lot of churches. We decided that we like Calvary. And and basically, it's it's the only church that I've ever been to that I that I actually can say that I liked, that I actually felt like cared about me. Hmm. I come home one day and the preacher's on the phone and he said, uh, he said I'd like for you to take take over the Union Rescue Mission. It it meets on uh, every the thirtieth of every month, and he asked me if I'd be willing to do that. And for those that are listening and aren't familiar, what is the Union Rescue Mission? The Union Mission? Rescue Mission is a, a place where homeless men go, 150 to 200 that, that, that come in every night, and uh, they feed them, they, they give them a place to sleep. They have classes that they, that they can go to to learn skills computers and what have you, and they have Bible, Bible classes regularly. They have a chapel service every night. So what was going through your mind when the pastor asked you? It scared me to death. Yeah. I mean, you talk about feeling uh, out of place. So I typed up this letter to him telling him why I couldn't do it. Hmm. And uh, 
uh, I explain, well, I've sometimes I get asthma type attacks and, and, and I, I'm a pro, I'm prone to, to, uh, I can't hear, I can't hear very good and on and on reason why I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it. Typed it up nice, put it in an envelope. The next day I didn't mail it. And I got to thinking, I'm going to write him another letter. I don't think he explained it very good. So I wrote another letter. And I said uh, basically the same thing, but I think I made it sound like I was maybe sicker than I really was or something. <laughs> Tore that one up the next day. Hmm. So I wrote a third letter, and I said, what, I, what I'm going to propose to you, I'll, I'll take the, the mission for six months, a six-month trial basis. Yeah. And I said, if it works out, I'll continue it. But if at the end of six months I feel like I'm way in over my head and really feel terribly uncomfortable, because I said that's exactly how I'm feeling right now, terribly uncomfortable. I said, I said I'll, I'll just I'll let you know in, in, in plenty of time to find somebody else. Yeah. And so he writes me back, and he says, uh, he says I'll, I accept your offer for you to take it for six months uh, uh, trial basis. So that's kind of, and, and in two more months, I will have had it six years. Wow. Uh, it's been, it's been a, a real exciting time for me. Do you feel that your, your past, you know, doing drugs and alcohol and the, you know, all the things that you'd been through, does that help you minister uniquely to the people at the Union Rescue Mission? Well, it, I don't think there's any question about it. I, I've given so many testimonies out there that they, they have a a, a, a ninety day turnover. In other words, they'll let them stay for ninety days, and if they're not in an educational program of some kind out there, they're gone. They have to go someplace else. Some of them go to Tulsa. Some of them go to Oklahoma City. So. I made up my mind when I when I when they changed and 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 decided that they that in every ninety days it's a new group of people in there. Yeah. And I decided every ninety days I'm gonna give my testimony. Yeah. Because it's a new group of people. So every ninety days I make a special point to give my own my own testimony. So I've given a lot of testimonies out there. Yeah. Because that's me. That's who I'm, you were. I should have ended up at the mission. Yeah. I know it. I know how it feels. Like Mama said, you're going to end up swinging by an end of a rope in the in the, in the penitentiary by the time you're 18 years old. I get to thinking, man, I was I was heading down that road, and I look forward to the day maybe a 70 year old will come up and want to talk to me. But that hadn't happened. Yeah, I used to listen to Charles Stanley, and he said he said statistics have proven that only only one person in a million, 70 years of, of age, ever be, ever give their life to Jesus Christ. One in a million. One in a million. And I thought, man, I'm a millionaire. Look, look, look what's happened to me. That One in a million? I'm one in a million. Yeah. If I was my age now, almost 85, I can't even imagine... When, before you were saved. Uh, yeah, I can't even imagine. I, I, I think I'd be pretty scared right now because I'm well aware that uh, that I'm living on borrowed time. I mean, uh, there, there's no question about that, but, but I'm not scared about it anymore. All my life, I thought Christians were weird and crazy, and now I'm one, one of them. 
and <laughs> and 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 I'm kind of weird and crazy. I, but in kind of a of a nice sort of way. Well, I want to just thank you so much for just being willing to share your testimony. Uh, this has been really encouraging for me to just sit and listen to and hear all this. I think for anyone listening, Jim's testimony is such an encouragement that God never gives up on the lost. He delights to save the broken, and he makes the sinners whole. For any of our listeners out there who have loved ones that they've shared the gospel with for years to seemingly no avail, remember, our God can do anything, and age does not matter to him. To learn more about Jim, visit our website, compelledpodcast.com, and search for this episode. There, we'll include a download of Jim's written testimony that he wrote himself, which has details that didn't make it into our interview. Right after the music ends, we'll play you a sneak peek from our next episode. But while you wait, you can find other episodes of our podcast at compelledpodcast.com or by subscribing to Compelled on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. New episodes are released every Tuesday. We're rapidly approaching the end of our season, and we actually only have two more episodes we're releasing. So if you've enjoyed our show, then please share it with some friends and leave a five-star rating on iTunes. Or if you don't use iTunes, a five-star rating on Facebook would be helpful as well. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at SiaDesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at Ben.Billups. Our media intern is Frank Allegrea. You can find him on Twitter at TheFrankAllegrea. Our assistant producer is none other than my lovely wife, Sarah Hastings. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it for this episode. Coming up, a sneak peek at next week's interview with John Fornoff, a talented storyteller and former writer for the audio drama series Adventures in Odyssey. You'll hear about John's unique calling into ministry, as well as the challenges and struggles that he's faced. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bottom line is they said I had prostate cancer. With everybody praying and sending in money and sending in cards, and they they call me up and they text me and they email me and they Facebook me. And just like, I saw the beauty of the body of Christ. And it's just, I saw it in a real tangible way. It was, um, it's hard to describe what that did to me. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th. The other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st. The Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th. And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.